I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is Flop Culture. You are listening to Flop Culture, a podcast where we mainly talk about flops, but we also sometimes talk about bops, hot goss, pop culture at large, and everything in between. I'm your host, Fanula J. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Laura Manny talking all things Ridian and the X Factor. Today's episode is a sizable walk down memory lane, so we're going to skip the news and get straight into proceedings with this week's flop. Formerly Hollywood's Irish bad boy, Colin Farrell, survived fame, addiction and revenge porn to become the two-time Golden Globe winning and now Oscar-nominated actor we see today. Joining me to talk about his journey to the top is journalist Dave Hanready. Enjoy. Dave Hanready, what a pleasure to have you on Flop Culture. How are you doing? Hey, Vanilla, how are you? I have a wicked bad head cold, but I I, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. (laughs) Appreciate it so much and appreciate that uh, that uh, preface for the dear listeners and their ears. Uh, I don't think I'd be podcasting if it wasn't for you, to be honest. You're the... one of the people, I think, that is responsible for... My phone's not off, so I'm not a good podcaster, clearly. Um, but you are one of the people that I think I'm the reason I'm doing this. Uh, meeting you and getting to listen to No Encore and you inviting me on to No Encore. So I just want to say thanks for that. And I'm so happy that you're here I don't to know talk what, about this. I don't know what to say. Get the hell out of town. That's <laughs> that's a wild over compliment, but thank you very much. That's a well, lovely thing I think thing it's true. Okay, so what you're saying is I helped launch your, your media career. <laughs> okay, may, we'll we'll pull that back slightly. Just Do, do, I, do I get a kickback no, here? No, like absolutely not. Kind of you do get the privilege of being on Flap Culture yeah. to talk about this very interesting, I suppose, point in time for a beloved actor. I think people are going to be a bit cross when they see the title of this, but I think 
and having dug into it myself now with you, it makes perfect sense. So what did you pick? Colin Farrell is my choice for this. and th- uh, uh, Honoured, by the way, to be here, I should say. And stuttering already because I'm so nervous. But here's <laughs> the thing. It's intentionally provocative. People will see Colin Farrell and they'd be like fucking balling their fists like the Arthur meme, right? It's like, how dare you come for this man? We all love him. And it's like, yeah, we do. I absolutely adore him. And the whole point of this episode, hopefully, is to try and outline his career and how he was once positioned to be one thing and then he's become something else, something I think much more interesting and lovable and important. But it wasn't always like that. I think a version of him flopped. But because of the flop, we got the great, great actor and human being, I hope, that we have today. He's a close family friend of mine as well. I don't know if I've said that to you. No. Um, well, when podcast I say that, lore. yeah, this is podcast lore. He went to, I get this wrong every single time, the family Not connection. close then, is he? He went to college, some, he went to college with one of my cousins and he was at my cousin's 21st and I was four and peak like love, not Love Island, Lion King obsessed and he was like tw- obviously 21 at the time as well and I was just like obsessed with him and wouldn't leave him alone <laughs> so he played like and I was just like acting out Lion King and like all the scenes and stuff so he would just like play Lion King with me to like keep me occupied and stop wrecking the other 20 year old's head um, so I'm obsessed with him I hope he's not a, so I hope he's, he's not cross about this episode so he's always been sound is he's always been sound yeah, okay yeah. okay yeah. That, that, that's great because it was a moment in time when I kind of I think a lot of his first, you know, impressions on us were this Hollywood bad boy, and, and we'll, we'll get to it because I know I know you have an outline. We can maybe try and follow that map, hopefully. But like, because the truth is, I say that because you could jump in at any point, and obviously, I know we're recording this a, a little while in advance. But there's renewed, uh, I think, fever for Colin Farrell because people think he might win the Oscar. I don't think he's going to win. I want him to win. This is for Banshees of Inisherin. Mm. Why? Why don't you think he's going to win? I think Brendan Fraser is going to win. For a film I've no interest in seeing, I should say. For The Whale. Yeah. Do you still think... Okay, so just for context, this is like December now. Colin is up for the Golden Globe for Banshee's Vinicius and alongside Martin McDonough and Brenda Gleeson. The movie kind of cleaned up there. It's not really an indication of what's to come because like Golden Globes are... Well, he's also in the comedy and musical section there. So he's more of a chance, he's more of a spread. At the uh, Oscars, which yeah. he, and he, no, we're talking about this as if he's destined to get the nomination. It would be a tremendous shock if he doesn't get a nomination. Yeah, obviously for, the Oscar nominations aren't out yet, the other nominations, but it's like, in terms of the race, what I've seen so far, it's like him, Brendan as well. You mentioned Brendan Fraser for The Whale and yeah. Austin Butler, I think, is also being... As Elvis. I yeah. hope I hope Austin Butler gets a nomination. Have you seen that film? No. I saw that film and it's, I mean, it's. if anyone hasn't seen a Baz Luhrmann film before, it's like the guy's machine gunning cocaine at you for the entire film. It's Did you so, like it? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I didn't think ah, I was going to. I actually went in okay. being like... I didn't. I didn't quite know what to think of it at the end of it. I mean, it's got problems. Tom Hanks's performance is <laughs> a fucking cartoon gone wrong. But like Austin Butler in this film is this is the announcement of a superstar. Mm. He is exceptional as Elvis Presley. It is uncanny at times. Although I've, I know there are some hardcore Elvis people who don't think it is, but I was transfixed. And anytime the the film did like a musical number, it just his ability to be him. It was shocking. I mean, I know that they used Elvis's vocals and it wasn't all him, but it really is a transformation. It's an amazing performance. He might not get the Oscar nomination, but what I will say is what I said at the time, and I know we're already detouring here, but like, if we're going to hand out an Oscar for a fucking, am I, am I cursed by the yeah. way? Dreadful, Saturday Night Live impression of Freddie Mercury, 
if this guy doesn't get an Oscar nomination for playing Elvis and doing yeah. it so brilliantly. So yeah, I guess what you're, what you're getting on here is it's actually quite, if you're into this kind of thing, it is a genuinely quite like tight and interesting and Oscar race for best actor this but year. Is, but is it as tight now? Because from what I've seen, like now that The Whale is out, that's the Brendan Fraser movie, mm-hmm. uh, he's playing this obese father trying to re- like repair his relationship with his daughter. I haven't seen it. I don't know if I will go see it based on kind of what other people have said and it the looks, subject matter. Yeah, but, lo- but from what I've seen, the reviews actually haven't been that good now. Mixed, and a lot of people yeah. are saying that it just doesn't live up to the hype mm. at all. So does that not leave kind of a small opening for Colin and it's, the lads, no? It's the story though, isn't it? And uh, film-wise, I mean, to me, it looks like exploitative grief porn and I don't really want any part of it. However, I might end up watching it because I'm a completionist and I do like Darren Aronofsky and one of the few people who thought that Mother was actually a really good film, even if it was the most on-the-nose thing you're ever going to see. But Brendan Fraser's comeback is a story. Hollywood loves a story. Mm. They love it. For example, he was nominated for the Golden Globes even though... The whole thing about Brendan Fraser is he, you know, his career disappeared. Why? One of the reasons was he was sexually assaulted by the head of the Golden Globes or Hollywood Foreign Press or something. At least that's what he alleges. And as a result, he reckons he was blackballed from the industry. And he has got a nomination from the Golden Globes this year, but he's already said, I'm not going. And he said it brilliantly. He said, my mother didn't raise a hypocrite. And Brendan Fraser has been doing the comeback tour. He was on Kimmel there the other day, whatever. He's very nervous. He's a very nervous man. He's mm. a very like lovely Colin Farrell. There's, there's similarities in terms of how they speak to people. There's nerves there. There's empathy. There's a warm human being. And people all over the world are like, we love Brendan Fraser. He got fucked over. He's a nice person. We want to see him get coronated. And that's what's probably going to happen, I think. Now, it could be wrong. Colin Farrell's performance in that film, Banshees, which I didn't love. I didn't love the film. I wanted to love it. I liked it. I was left a bit cold by it. But he is brilliant in it. And it would also be a hell of a story because it would also cement the kind of thing that we're going to talk about here where it's like he was once put up there as like cool, sexy action man. But now everyone's like, wait a minute, this is one of the best actors in the world. He just happens to look beautiful. He's also brilliant. He could, he could do anything. And I think over the course of his career, yeah, there's been plenty of duds and plenty of weird things. And there's films that he himself does not even remember making famously because of his substance abuse issues that he's been very, very candid about. Um, but I don't know if Hollywood is more into that story than they're into the Brendan Fraser one. I think it's an easier kind of, you know, it's his time. But I could be wrong. You could be wrong. We'll have to wait and see. Let's come back to that. Let's revisit Banshees. But let's talk first about where he came from and I suppose his earlier projects that kind of set him up for the fall, I suppose, in a way, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, do you want to start with like the like the, the big one? Because I mean, I, I'm unfortunately, Fanilla, I'm a little bit older than you are. So, and I say that not in a patronizing <laughs> way, but in a, I, you know, have a very vivid memory of when I first encountered Colin Farrell in the pop culture. I don't know if it was the same. I know you had that Lion King moment and it's quite beautiful. So maybe you were more fast tracked than this? Ne- like, I never saw Ballycus Angel. Yeah. Like, I think my first, what was my first interaction with him? It was probably, I knew of him in the media and of him being talked about as a story, but in terms of the first thing I watched it was probably Phone Booth but mm-hmm. obviously with this podcast I've since re-watched, I've since watched Tigerland and it's yes. just like Jesus fucking Christ that is he's a star yep. there he is yep. it's just like a firecracker it's 100%. so satisfying to watch so yeah I mean like if you go like the kind of the dossier so to speak you know he's born in 1976 in Castle Knock. his dad played for Shamrock Rovers he unsuccessfully auditioned for Boyzone I loved that story as well I'm like what could have been exactly can you imagine Sliding doors can <laughs> you imagine uh, he was inspired to get into acting by watching the film E.T. as a child uh, he was in Ballycus Angel as you mentioned uh, at the age of 18 he was suspected of attempted murder while in Sydney 
on holidays with his mates. However, he had an alibi. He was at a party on the other side of town doing MDMA. But the only reason they knew that as well because his friend had a journal of it and like obviously talked about it, which is just an another incredible layer to that story. Yeah. Love so it let's so much. talk about the Hollywood career kicking off in earnest. So he is a bit part in Kevin Spacey movie Ordinary Decent Criminal in 2000 in which Kevin Spacey, the obviously very cancelled Kevin Spacey, yeah. basically plays, uh, I, I say cancelled, but like it's more like responsibility for your horrendous actions, yeah. of course. Uh, Spacey plays Martin Cattle, essentially the general, with a different name. It's not a good movie. And Colin Farrell is one of his goons or something. He's just there in the background. Um, but this and his, I guess, his charm or whatever, led Joel Schumacher, famed film director, the late Joel Schumacher, who, of course, he would reteam with for Phone Booth. Um, Schumacher cast him as the lead in this Vietnam War film called Tigerland. Now, this is where the hype machine began. And I remember this very, very vividly because when I was growing up, um, and in, in 2000, I would have been like 16. So... I grew up, though, reading Empire Magazine, you know, any film stuff that my brother would have. That's kind of how I, you know, I I got more from that than from my school books. And I became just fucking obsessed with watching movies that were much too older for my my age at the time. But I was still, this is my education. So I'm reading all these magazines. And again, this is like pre-internet. Well, internet's kind of around, but it's dial-up and it's all very bad. You kids don't know how lucky you have it these days. (laughs) But I remember there was an image. There There was a promotional image that they used of Colin Farrell. And he's topless. And he's got an American football. He's like about to throw it. And he's got this kind of glower on his face. And it was like, it would pop up. I would see this same image pop up in like Empire Magazine or in fucking, I don't know, it was Heat Magazine out then? But that kind of thing where it was just like, and some people would be like, Joe Schumacher taps unknown actor from Ireland to, to, in his new indie film. And, you know, this guy's going to be a big deal. Or it was like, look at this fucking hunk. Oh my God. Because it was like, he ticked all the boxes. And then this Tigerland film gets made. You know, it's an independent film. It's about war. It's more about the, you know, the kind of conversations around it. Uh, it's now 22 years old. You've just watched it. Mm. What do you think? I thought it was really good. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Mm. Um, he is just, he's just like, he's dynamite on screen. He's just, he plays, when he's playing those type of like tortured, nuanced, like, he plays those roles better than he does any of the action stuff because I've, I've watched other stuff since and the stuff in between, it's just, I can't ever understand that correlation for him or how he was ever put into those like, like he's leading man, but not in a Mark Wahlberg leading man or like Dwayne The Rock Johnson leading man kind of way. Well, you know what do, I mean? They can't do what he can do. Yeah. And that exact thing that you're talking about, that kind of, you know, underneath the surface, behind the eyes pain, that's all over Banshees of Inisherin, of course. And that's like what the character is. And, you know, he's the fool, quote unquote, but he's so heartbreaking in it. And like, again, I, I don't love the film, but I do love the performances. Mm. I think everyone is, you know, phenomenal. Well, I, I don't think Barry Cogan's very good in it, but that's, that's, that's my opinion. We'll come back to that. That's Put my a pin hot on that. Take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the point is, right, Farrell gets fast-tracked on this now, essentially. He's in a couple of movies around this time that no one really watches, like American Outlaws and Hearts War. Hearts War was like this kind of military court film, courtroom drama with him and Bruce Willis. And there's an amazing anecdote. I don't know if it's true. And if Colin Farrell is listening, hi, by the way. Second of all, maybe you can tell us if this is true. Supposedly, and this kind of hasn't aged well because Bruce Willis, who's in the film, has obviously had to retire recently because he has a condition. And there was talk for a while that Bruce Willis was making these kind of straight-to-DVD or video-on-demand movies in the last few years in which he'd he'd have an earpiece on set because he couldn't remember his lines and people were kind of mocking him for that when it leaked. But then, of course, it became a health issue and it was like, oh, no, now we feel bad about this. But Bruce Willis also would have a reputation back in the day when he was healthier of being maybe a bit of a curmudgeon. So I don't think this was a health thing. This might have just been a Bruce thing. Mm -hmm. This film is 2002, of course. Point is, apparently... 
there's a behind the scenes thing I read once. I don't know, I can't attribute it to anybody, but I hope, I hope it's true. Supposedly they clashed. Uh, you know, young hothead Colin Farrell and veteran diehard man Bruce Willis. And apparently there was an exchange where, <laughs> like, I think Bruce Willis was kind of like giving him grief over something and Colin Farrell snapped back at him and he said something like, hey, you might want to get an early night, you got a fucking line to learn for tomorrow. And Bruce Willis apparently just like was like, yo, you know, go fuck yourself, you know. He may he may have said an Irish slur. I don't know. This is all obviously allegedly. I don't know if any of this happened, but it wouldn't surprise me. Point is, Farrell, you know, maybe a bit of a, a confident man. And he's been kind of handed the keys to the kingdom because along comes Steven Spielberg and casts him as the second lead in Minority Report opposite Tom Cruise. Now, Top Gun Maverick this year. Did you see it? Of course I did. Did you love it? Cried like a baby after, yeah. Oh, so good. So good. So good. I saw it three times. I fucking loved it. I love Tom Cruise, unironically. Whatever about his personal life, I don't care. I think he's the last great movie star. He's amazing. His his fame waned a little bit, though, in recent years. It's kind of back up there now. But in 2002, he was still the biggest name out mm. there. So for Colin Farrell to be in a Steven Spielberg film opposite Tom Cruise in the summer of 2002... Could you be given more of a coronation, like mm. like more of like okay, this is the guy we're going to make this the guy and held his own. He's great in that film. Uh, there's a very funny early line where, <laughs> which I presume was adjusted once they once they cast him, where he says, you know, when I was a kid, my father was shot dead on the uh, outside a church on the streets of Dublin, and it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting there, you're sitting, I'm sitting there in like a draw to cinema, you know, being like this. this I know there. I, I've heard of Dublin. <laughs> it's but it's mad though. The capital. Was, Matt Damon was capital. originally offered that role. Who was? Matt Damon. Okay. And he was doing something else. I oh, can't remember off the top of my head. Born? Could be, would it have been Bourne, possibly? But, and, but Colin Farrell, yes, it was one of the Bournes. And Colin Farrell was just First like, born. yeah, I like, I'm not. He had no ego about being kind of second choice. He was like, I was fucking delighted, obviously, because it pretty much, that's the role, I think, that changed the entire career trajectory for him, I think. Huge audition as well. I mean, like, you're working with Spielberg, you know, like, I mean... The After most... having said that, like, E.T. is, like, his favourite movie yeah, and that's yeah. what inspired him I to mean, get like, into it, acting. It, yeah. it must have been crazy. And again, like, Spielberg, Tom Cruise, I, I wouldn't have been able to fucking handle that. How could anybody? Mm. But he did, and he's great in the film. He's excellent. He's kind of the antagonist, but he's, he's got layers. It's a scene-stealing performance, and it did well for him. Then he goes on, I think he makes Phone Booth. Um, I love Phone Booth, sorry. No, no, Phone Booth's great. I love Phone Booth. Like, that's the epitome of you know if a movie's on TV like you stop and watch it again not a thing that happens anymore because we have everything on demand yeah, but like that used to be just be constantly on TV3 as it was known back in the day yeah, and then you'd yeah, just yeah. be like yeah phone booth uh, or, yeah, or a phone box as people from Dublin would say um, <laughs> that, that was the thing people were like you know like I have a friend who worked in a cinema and they are like can I get one for phone box please and he was like what no um, <laughs> but, but like that's what like I think it's it's okay critics wise and like review wise or whatever it's not like below uh, no it's, but, but it did well I mean, like, made it was loads of money yeah, 13 million dollar yeah. budget made 100 million dollars I think and like you know it's a film Larry Cohen is, is a famous B-movie writer he'd been wanting to make it since like the 70s or something Joe Schumacher makes it it's really kind of Simple, you know. Mm. It's Colin Farrell plays this uh, scumbag PR guy, sleazeball. He answers a phone in a phone booth. Uh, again, we don't have those so much anymore. And someone on the other end of the line says, "If you leave this phone booth, I'm going to shoot you." And it's about that. It's like, how do you get out of the situation? The film start to end, to start to the start of the end credits is like 75 minutes long. So Perfect even, length of a movie, I will but say. But this is the thing. I mean, you can reframe it now for modern context and be like, okay, like I'm, I'm, I'm going out later on or I'm doing this and I want to watch a movie or it's oh, it's it's half 10 and I want to watch a movie before I go to bed but I can't put on a fucking three-hour epic. I'll just stick on phone booth. Like, be over before you know it. And it is. It's cheesy, but it's fun. And he's yeah. good in it. His American accent's a bit shaky. His American accent is shaky kind of across the board. Yeah. I even found it like slightly <laughs> in Tigerland 
majorly in swash, which we'll talk about oh, later swash. on. But, oh. but he's even kind of said, <laughs> he said in Hot Ones this year that the accent he str- or the dialect he struggles with is like general America, which sure. like I know there's kind of no such thing, but he's like, it's easier to get specific than it is Dude, it's supposing the same if you're going to be doing general Irish. Like, what's general Irish? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, of course, it doesn't yeah. exist. It's totally fair. And, like, it's not like it's bad. It's just more like it's just a bit shaky. And it's a bit like, you know, he's kind of doing like a fast-talking, sweaty, cocaine-addled New Yorker kind of guy, you mm. know, like that kind of stuff. He's like, oh, I can't believe I'm in this situation, like, like that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's a fun movie. He makes The Recruit with Al Pacino. Yeah, talk to me about The Recruit because I tried to watch this and so the only boring. thing that comes up is the fucking new thing on Netflix. It's a Netflix series Called now with Noah Centennial. Yeah, yeah I know, of course it's shit. I don't know, it's on Netflix and Noah Centennial is in it. So the 2003 film The Recruit with Colin Farrell opposite Al Pacino. Um, it's really boring. It's a CIA kind of spy thriller type thing. Thing. It makes a lot of money. Like again, it makes over 100 million, but it doesn't really like it doesn't really impact. It's one of those kind of you know one of my favorite my favorite genre in film is films that don't exist. When you're like, well, that came out and I watched it and I did go to the cinema to see this because I was like, more please. But you have um, no memory of it after, or like nah, I rewatched it a couple of years ago and it's like it's it's just it's it's your quintessential two out of five mm. and it's very much like we got to give this Colin Farrell something to do while we're looking for something better for him to do. Put him next to Al Pacino. Like, again, if it's on TV, like, your dad would, like, watch the second half of it, even if he hasn't seen the first half kind mm-hmm. of movie. And it'd be fine, because it's just so by the numbers. He's okay in it. It's not It's not one that you'd be like, oh, man, the recruit. Like, yeah, like, it's like, not. Like, no one talks about it. Like, it's just, but, <laughs> not a total clanger, not amazing. But again, made but, a lot of money. And uh, for the notoriety of him in American gossip magazines, yes. this is the big one. Because what this was, he brought Britney Spears to the premiere. Iconic. And he posed for very obnoxious red carpet photographs that screamed publicity stunt. It was where they actually annoyed him. Uh, I remember Amy O'Connor of the Daily Edge wrote an article about this exact thing. It was like, did they actually hook up? Yeah, I'm going to link it on the Instagram because it's just, it's so worth the read. It's even a great for piece. The, even from, for the quotes from yeah. the American publications at the time and how they described him and their relationship. It's yeah. just... It's a really good piece. Amy O'Connor so is really good for that kind of thing. And if she writes, it, yeah, it's, it's a really good piece. And it's just very much like, her conclusion is that something may have happened. But, you know... Yeah, because he like he's basically <laughs> I'm paraphrasing him now, but his whole thing was like we were out all at the one thing and went over and started chatting with her and her friends and then it, then we were all in the limo and we were just at the pre- like he never saw it as like a publicity stunt or like a PR thing like it was just like Do you remember the photos? Like do you remember them being in like the I sun? D- I don't remember stuff? them from the time at all to be I honest do. this was a relationship yeah. that had also kind of totally escaped my memory and even when I looked at them I was like alright but like the, the way he kind of he kind of sells it to me is just like you know cheeky Irish lad Colin Farrell at the time being like how could people interpret this as us being in a relationship like I just we we're just having the crack, but you know it's what so, I mean? The red carpet thing, like, it's so, I, again, like, it was just, it's it's iconic to use that fucking word, but like, I mean, he's there, right? He's got spiked black hair. He looks like TV's angel, basically. And he's like, you know, got like the rings on. He's got like his black so suit. Sexy, he's God. very sexy. And so is Britney Spears. 2003 Britney Spears, everybody. I yeah. Mean, come on. And they're there and they're standing on the red carpet and he's like, he's like chewing gum and she's kind of all smiles. She's like the all American girl. He's the bad boy Irish guy. He has his arm around her shoulder and his hand is like, you know, kind of draped down towards her chest. Not in a salacious way, but just in that kind of, you know, relaxed, I'm coming out of the nightclub with my girl type yeah. thing. And he's chatting to reporters and he's all smiles. Who wouldn't be? But it just screamed like, let's put these two kids together, get some photos, make the gossip columns talk about it. Maybe they hooked up in private. I hope they did. They were two very beautiful people. <laughs> I hope lead. they did. I hope they did. Well, we're going to talk about his, because um, we because we got to talk about Daredevil. 
Yeah, which I completely forgot he was in, I'm going to be honest. And when you said it, I was like, what the fuck? Like, I think the legacy of that movie isn't him, even though that's like, I think, would you say this is kind of where the real like flopping begins? Even though, again, it's not really, it's not him, it's the material. Because even like, YouTube comments aren't the basis of, like, aren't a good, you know... Uh, litmus well, test of anything but it's so funny to read the YouTube corner, comments on some of the clips and it's like he plays it so well and like he was perfect as Bullseye and everything else blah, blah, blah. it was the movie and it was like Ben Affleck is way worse in this than he is as the villain he's so I, fucking bad for this podcast you know, to show you how dedicated I am and I hope that your listeners will appreciate this I went and I watched the two and a half hour director's cut oh my of God. Daredevil to, to make sure that I because like it was an R-rated thing but it was kind of trimmed down by the studio I guess real quick Primer on Daredevil. Marvel superhero, of course, there has recently been a TV show, a quite gritty one on Netflix, and the characters maybe kind of kind of come back in a new iteration as played quite well by Charlie, Charlie Cox. Cox. He's a blind superhero. He's a lawyer by day. He's a superhero by night. He's a vigilante justice man. You know, it's ridiculous, but it's, you know, it's gritty and it's New York is hell's kitchen. Like, it's all kind of stuff, you know? But this was this kind of pop candy thing which worked in places but didn't work in others you get two evanescence needle drops in this movie <laughs> which is fucking mental you get this like montage of uh, Jennifer Garner like doing her ninja workout to like bring me to life by evanescence and it's just ridiculous uh, Colin Farrell plays Bullseye who is a hitman and he never misses like you can throw anything at someone and it'll kill them you know he's the, the greatest marksman in the world mm. And he also is bald. <laughs> uh, people might recognize this from a different Colin Farrell film that came out around the time, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, he's bald, he's got a mustache, uh, and he's got a giant bullseye carved into his head. Yeah. And he's also Irish. Yeah. Uh, like, it's it's never really explained. He just kind of pops up. He's like the secondary antagonist of the movie. He's having a lot of fun. He really is. Yeah. He, it's a ridiculous film. He's the only one who kind of knows the film he's in. Everyone else is all grim, dark, serious, and he's just this cartoon that pops up, killing people for fun. But the very first time he's introduced, right, he's in a bar... And House of Pain is playing because he's Irish and he's playing darts while not looking at the dartboard while stinking a beer. And they all go to, into the bullseye. Ha ha. Ha And then he doesn't say anything, but he demands money off some guy who's obviously lost a bet against him. Yeah. And the guy gives him his money reluctantly and Farrell goes to leave. And this guy who has a comical English accent is like, yeah, get on out of here, you fucking patty or whatever. That was kind of Australian, but like. It was like Irish trash or something. Yeah, or typical, Irish yeah. trash or something like that. Yeah. And like Farrell like turns around and then like takes it a paperclip and kills him with it by throwing it in his neck. I don't know how this would work, but it's silly. So so, so the first thing is he kills someone for being anti-Irish, which, you know, I can only support that, obviously. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, like, like this guy, you're telling me this guy's the villain. And then like the next time we see him, he's on a plane and there's this old woman who's yapping away next to him. And then she says something racist. And then he like gets a peanut, flicks it off the back of the chair in front of him, it goes into her throat and she chokes to death on it. And again, so he's murdered two racists. How's this the bad guy? <laughs> but the best part is, right, the stewardess comes over and goes, um, can I get you anything, sir? And he looks like like she's, a, he, she's asleep. He, and then he literally just goes, more peanuts, please. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. It's so... Uh, I, it's a bad movie, but it's but kind it's of... Such a, you, it's a document, yeah. You make the great point in that uh, there's a part of me that feels like if everyone had played it kind of the wink-wink, nudge-nudge in the way that he did, it would have been a totally different... I think it still yeah. would have been shite, obviously, you know what I mean? But it was just... Everything else was so laboured and like sure, heavy-handed sure. from the rest of them, whereas he was just like, I'm here, this is a laugh, this is yeah, the material completely. I've been given. Also, like, shouts to the late uh, Michael Clark Duncan, of course, people will know from The Green Mile. Uh, he plays the Kingpin, which was quite progressive casting at the time, and he's also kind of ramping up the cartoonish aspect just a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's a mess. I think it's a noble failure. It's also crucial to say at this point before we move on, 
there was a Marvel film at a time when Marvel did not have the cinematic universe established like it does now. Superhero films were still very much of a gamble if they weren't Batman. People didn't always turn out for them and they were also looked down very, very sniffly by critics. I mean, you know, in some cases that they, they still should be. Like a superhero film doesn't guarantee it's going to be good. Mm. But they've obviously gotten a lot more kind of, you know, pedigreed since then or whatever. But this was, yeah, it was a fascinating thing. And like it did, I can't remember, did it do okay at the box office? I think it did, it made a hundred million more than its budget, but it wasn't, it was considered a bit of a flop. Yeah. It was like, you need to make a bit more money than that. There was no sequel in no, that No, it's the reputation line. precedes it and the reputation is not. For good, all, like, I think he escaped you know, fairly unscathed. Um, before we move on to some other stuff he had, because 2003 was a huge year for him, mm. um, I have a couple of clips I want to play at this point, if if I can. Of course, yeah. So let's play the first one, which is, so there was a there, there was this show called Dinner for Five, which I found on YouTube. It aired on some, you know, independent channel in America. It never played over here, I don't think. And it's a really great idea. John Favreau, the director, who's also in Daredevil, what he did was, what he like, he did about five seasons of this. So what he'd do is he would get his Hollywood mates, essentially, three or four of them at a time. They'd go to a restaurant. They'd sit there for two hours. They'd have a meal. They'd drink. They'd have some cigars or whatever. And they would film it. And they would just chat. Basically, you know, he was inventing podcasting, essentially, ahead of his time. And uh, it was really entertaining. And, you know, you get all these little kind of anecdotes. You know, it's fucking, there's some really good stuff in there, but it's very hard to find online. Colin Farrell's on the first episode because it's the cast of Daredevil because mm. Favreau's in it. So Favreau's there, Kevin Smith, the director's there because he's got a cameo on the director's cut. Ben Affleck is there, Jennifer Garner is there and there's a great moment where I wouldn't say Jennifer Garner is looking at Ben Affleck with like awestruck love puppy eyes before they hooked up and you, so you can see the seeds of it. But Colin Farrell, right? Colin Farrell is sitting at this table and I want you to picture this. He has a Roy Keane shaved head, okay. like complete buzz cut, like yeah. one blade or zero, whatever the fuck. He's got like his mustache going, his kind of goatee coming back in. He looks, <laughs> uh, he's like chain smoking at the table. He's down in whiskeys and he is just like, this is the height of him going around Hollywood and just being a fucking, the Hollywood bad boy. So I've got a clip here at the, from the end of the episode in which Colin Farrell goes into this kind of monologue about what life was like for him at the time. And it's wild. It's more about like, that's why people cast people off, you know, like see them on TV shows or whatever. Or like they Woody go Allen like Clint, you know, Clint Eastwood. You know what I mean? Just see yeah. his tape or, you know. I did the first audition I've done in fucking a year and a half, a week ago, and I shit my fucking eye and nearly had to wear brown trousers into the fucking thing, man, because I was so nervous that I was going to scat all over the fucking audition room. And, uh, and it was cool, because I had to deal with it, because I was like, good, Colin, you're fucking, as I said, Hollywood's hottest little what the fuck ever. Go in, learn your fucking lines, and deal with it, you know? It was fucking sweet, was man. Great? Oh, it was great. Mm. I was so loud. What was it for? What was it for? It was for a thing called Alexander the Great that Oliver Stone's doing, which mm. I probably won't get, but it was cool. Do you mean Oliver Stone there? Yeah. I'm yeah, afraid. man. He was fucking, you know, he's nuts. I when I came first, nobody would give me the steam off the piss in the fucking bar. I got down to fucking Chicken Wing and Beer Heaven on 3rd Street Promenade in Santa Monica to try and get laid or to try and meet people. Or I'd go, excuse me, can I borrow your loiter? And they'd go, wow, where are you from? And I'd go, Dublin. And next thing you know, I'd either be fucking screwing someone in my hotel room the Holiday Inn, <laughs> or else I'd have ten guys back in my room smoking spliffs and drinking Jack Daniels and we'd be having a laugh. So yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's a lot, right? There's a lot in that. And I'm not, this is not me trying to be like, look, you know, he said some questionable things there, but that's what look, his... I, th I think it's also important to consider where he was at oh, this yeah. point. You're like under the microscope in such a huge way, mm -hmm. clearly at the very start of his 
you know, issues with substance abuse yep. and everything like that. And that's not an excuse, he, but like know, that's... Well, he's been very candid talking yeah. about that kind of thing and no one is here to judge him on that score. But like, but he was off, the, he was given the keys to Hollywood. Yeah. They were like, you're the sexiest guy in the world. Go do. Go go fucking nuts. Burn out. And he did. He mm. burned the fuck out. Like, he's no memory of making some films at, at a certain point. And of course, he makes the sex tape around this time that got leaked onto the internet. It was a whole thing. I mean, I'm sure some people have seen it. It was quite famous at the time. Uh, I have a clip, not from the sex tape. Um, yeah, good. But I have a clip of him talking about the sex tape, if you want to hear him reflecting on it, like when he's gotten to a better place in his life. So there's a Jonathan Ross interview that he did in 2008, which is kind of, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit later because of a couple of clips from that particular interview. But this interview, I think, is important because this, you know, it's important for me anyway, because when I saw him do this interview, my opinion of him completely changed. I thought he was, you know, okay. You know, like I liked him, but I, I, I was wondering, I was like, maybe he's not the guy. Maybe he's a bit of a dick. I don't know. But then I saw this interview he did with Jonathan Ross, and it was the most incredible thing. But this is one element of it, just so we can get some context for him discussing the sex tape. Because, you know, it was notorious, so. Mm. Of course, we know there was, uh, there was uh, some footage of you on the internet that was available for, uh, I don't know if you from, saw it, you I probably didn't mass consumption, but. Uh, well, people did look. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Sorry. That must be, uh, how does, what happens there? How did that it's sneak out? It's 14 minutes, is what that was. <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do you process that kind of thing? It seemed like a good idea at the time. Two adults having fun with a little video camera, you know. Nothing wrong with that. I no, there as long as you don't let the tape get into the wrong hands. Well, that's it. And at the end of the deposition, because we're all very officious in a law office in Los Angeles, and, and the, the man that was in charge said, well, you've learned your lesson, I hope, Mr. Farrell. And I said, absolutely, next time I take the tape with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it for you to look back on later, though? Uh, no, 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 it's all not about that. It's kind of some, some uh, pseudo-taboo thing about, ooh, video camera. It wasn't about playing it back or anything, but uh, I don't know what it was about. I think I was high. <laughs> so there you go. Mm. I mean, drugs and alcohol was what was dominating his his time at that time. Like it was, it was all available to him. And I mean, who's to say that any of us wouldn't have become, you know, like have gone off the rails? I mean, the very fact that he comes back from that is the real story. And of course, you know, develops into the person he is today. But just to go back to two thousand three for now, because I know, like, you know, he pops up in a cameo in Veronica Guerin doing his friend Joel Schumacher a solid there. He chats to Kate Blanchett at one stage. It's actually quite a nice scene. Uh, he plays like a Man United fan outside a pub or something. And he's an intermission, that Irish film around the time. So he's also, you know, he's given back to the Irish films as well. He's not just like a Hollywood guy. But let's talk about your favourite film, SWAT. S-W-A-T, baby. Another thing that he said in that Hot Ones interview, because Sean Evans is like, what's the movie role that would get you a free drink or like a free meal in a pub somewhere? And he was like, oh, an Irish bar in Los Angeles. It's probably SWAT. But like, obviously anywhere else, it's like in Bruges. SWAT is, and when I looked into this and I mentioned Mark Wahlberg earlier, again, Mark Wahlberg was offered this role and he couldn't do it because he was doing the Italian job. Someone else was offered. I can't remember who. He was basically third choice again. Yeah. It just, again, I don't really think he's massively the issue here. No. I think his whole, you know, the friendship with Jeremy Renner's character and stuff like there's, and like, you know, he's fucked off back to the clean, like cleaning and sorting the guns, like, but yeah. he clearly wants to be there. Like, he played. Let's talk about just, the, like, like, like what this actually is. Cause but it, what is it, what is it about though? Because it's just like so, two hours of, what, like Samuel Jackson's there. Yeah, what, the ca the cast what is, is going on? The cast is incredible. So this is a 2003 action movie and it's very, very forgettable. It was based on a TV show. There was a TV show prior, I think it was possibly in the 80s, maybe the 70s, I don't know, but it was called SWAT. And like it had a cool theme tune, which they put into this movie. But like, it's just a very generic summer popcorn, 
two hours on a Friday night, but it's so generic. He's generic in it. He plays a character called Jim Street. And it starts off in him and a young Jeremy Renner, who you mentioned there, pre kind of pre fame Jeremy Renner, are like uh, police officers. A, a bust goes wrong, someone gets killed, and they get busted down to yeah, they're, they're SWAT team members, but they get, they get busted down to like desk duty. Jeremy Renner yeah. storms off. You know, he's like, I'm quitting because he thinks Colin sold him out. him out or something, yeah, which, which he didn't. But do. like, yeah, because he's a good guy. And yeah. Renner, Renner actually pops back up in the movie later on as like the bad guy, and he's good in it. He's funny. Spoilers, yeah. but Spoilers. also don't Spoilers for the best watch. film of 2003. I think yeah. it's probably it's got to be on Netflix. If it isn't, it'll be back there in a bit. Of a I week. saw it on Sky Cinema. Okay. So oh, I don't wow. think it's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, basically, like Colin Farrell, like goes to work in a fucking you know like the boot room of the police station, and Samuel L. Jackson is putting a team together. How weird! Um, and he you know puts a team together of swap people including Colin Farrell Michelle Rodriguez LL Cool J (laughs) and yeah like I mean it's just a very like Will from The Good Wife it is on Netflix. Yes, Josh Charles. Is it on Netflix? Well, it is now in December. It might not be when this episode comes out, but, you know, spend your money, guys. Watch SWAT. It's, it's, just, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a great time. As a matter of fact, I have a very short clip, if I may. Of, of course. So French actor Olivier Martinez is in this movie, and this was kind of what the film was sold on, this thing that happens... But it happens like an hour and ten minutes into the film. But this was this was all over the trailer. So here's Olivia Martinez. He's a criminal. He's being led away by police, and he says something to the onlooking media, the onlooking cameras, and it's the most French thing he's ever said. Just the way he says it, it's great. In relationship to charges of arms dealing, drug trafficking, extortion, smuggling, kidnapping, and over two dozen murders. Domestic and foreign law enforcement agencies are already jockeying to interrogate the man one high-level White House aide has dubbed simply the catch. I will give $100 million to whoever gets me out of here. So, yeah, he'll give you $100 million, and it's like, that's, the film was all like, it, oh my god, unreal, but that only happens kind of halfway through it. It's it's a bit of a mess, but I've seen worse, and Colin Farrell's, it's a paycheck. I, I have seen, I think when I texted her, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. That's, <laughs> that was an, that, I was over-egging it, but it is, generic is the yeah. perfect word yeah. to describe it. It is, again, like that midweek movie, your dad, again, watches three quarters of the way through, and is yeah. just still gets it. Paul Walker was the other guy who it was offered to. Okay, um, but he right. was the late Paul Walker, but the he was Paul doing, Walker, yes. he was doing Too Fast Furious, so that's why he Which did was, not end up playing Jim Street. Turned out to be the smarter career move as it was, turns out. Was Colin typecast at this point? Like, this is really like peak which sure he could, just the assumption that he could do action and that this was yeah. what he was built for and made to do like leading lad, bad guy. But it's just generic like like in this film, like, oh sorry I keep hitting the, the, the structure of the studio I do apologise. Um, it's just very like good looking white guy action movie like it's it's a cash grab for him there's nothing to it it's just like take the money you know and like I think he was certainly at risk of being typecast this did feel a bit like this is starting to stagnate now I don't know if you're really going anywhere and like the following year he has he's in an indie film called A Home at the End of the World which he got good credits for like really like a Roger Ebert said he was astonishing in the movie not least because the character is such a departure from everything he has done before That's, very hard to yeah. watch find a link for that legally but I'm sure it's out there so it's a real it indie film and it's just it's, yeah there's not very well known again it's called A Home at the End of the World he's very good in it and I think it was important for him to do that because at, he could have just done another SWAT movie not an actual SWAT 2 because nobody wanted that but he could have just been like I'll just do another general boring action thing 
Was that kind of the start of what was to come, though? Was that kind of nearly foreshadowing, you know, those indies movies like that again this departure from the blockbusters the the leading man in inverted commas it was definitely him dipping a toe I think it was him trying to start trying to start to find his feet but you know there is a, a massive epic failure to come which we'll mention but before we get there just real quick uh, and actually it's one that he mentioned earlier on he mentions Alexander the Great he says in that clip there that he goes I'm auditioning for this I don't think I'm going to get it he did get it and it turned out to be a huge problem that almost killed his career but we'll get to that in a moment if, if I may indulge you with one more clip mm-hmm because you mentioned Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner's in SWAT and, um, you know, they play these characters that are friends at the start and then they become enemies. So uh, Jeremy Renner would go on to receive an Oscar nomination for The Hurt Locker in 2008. And that's when the film came out. I, I, I think it's a really good film. I think he's great in it. It won Best Picture, but he he didn't win Best Actor, but he was he was up for it. And this was around the time. Now, the Oscars, of course, as everybody knows, is like the ultimate industry piss-up. You know, it's so backslapping and ridiculous, but we're, we're still drawn to it. Now, I know the ratings are down and, like, the TikTok generation don't give a fuck about it, but, you know, it's, it's still quite notorious in Hollywood. And they did this thing, you know, they're always doing these ridiculous things, but they did this thing for a couple of years um, that even they themselves realized, this is too indulgent, we got to stop doing this. But what they did was, so, for example, like, let's say you're up for Best Actress, which you, of course, will be someday, for now that we yeah. know this. I can't wait. What they would do is they would have five actors, like peers of these people, maybe they'd worked with them before, and they'd come out on stage and do a little intro for the person sitting in the seat. Mm-hmm. And it was so, like, just masturbatory. Yeah. You had, like, Tim Robbins was there for Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman was up for Invictus, I think it was. And Tim Robbins was like, what can we possibly say that we haven't already said about this titan of the industry, Morgan Freeman? And everyone's like, hey, you know, like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was there for Jeff Bridges. He would go on to win it for Crazy Heart. Uh, Vera Farmiga was on the stage. I think someone else, Michael Douglas, maybe. But the point that I'm making here is Colin Farrell was chosen to do the intro for Jeremy Renner. And Colin Farrell is on the stage and he's the last one to go, hmm. which is perfect because they couldn't have planned this. But he's coming after these four really portentous, over-the-top, written, you know, like, reading the cue cards, like, you're a god of the industry, yeah. all this kind of bollocks, you know? And Colin Farrell goes last, and you're going to hear it in his voice here, he's quite nervous on the stage, his voice is kind of quavering, and he hits the marks on occasion, like, he, 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 de- he definitely hits some of the bullet points that you would say for this, but it's a very human moment. And at the end of it, you're going to hear in the clip, there's a beautiful, beautiful moment at the end of it where he just kind of abandons it completely, clasps his hands together and looks down at Jeremy Renner and gives him a big smile and says, yeah, good luck, Jeremy. It's just a nice little moment that no one else did. So let's take a listen to that. I was fortunate to get to know Jeremy during a film we did together called SWAT. And we had some good times both on and off the set, including that trip to Mexico, man, which I wish I remembered more of. But I'll never forget sharing a bed with you that one night. I think we actually shared a pillow. And before any rumours start, you should know that all it was was spooning. (laughs) Even though SWAT was a down-the-line action film, two things were obvious working with Jeremy even then. It was your raw talent, man, and your kindness and your generosity to those around you, regardless of their station. It was an absolute inspiration. Your nominated performance was such a delight for me to watch. After a nearly 20-year career, to see you get the chance to do a level film and tackle a depth of character that complemented your abilities so, well, it just felt right. It really did, seeing that. Um, your work gloriously avoided political persuasion, which for me was lovely, because it wasn't left or right, it was just one man. It was beautiful. It was alive, it was honest, and it's my honor to say this nomination is so well-deserved, brother. And uh, 
Yeah, good luck, Jeremy. <laughs> Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do we think Colin Farrell was ever on the Jeremy Renner app? Oh, wow. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> no, that is so sweet. That's I'd melt. Just, it encapsulates... I'd melt in my seat. ...everything about... Like, he's so genuine, to mm -hmm. a fault, I think, as we've seen from, like, previous Some clips or whatever. Played, yeah. yes, yes. But I think that's... Oh, that he's so just... He ha He's always had it. He's always had it. And I just wonder what was going on around this time and this year and going on to this next film that we're going to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, like, well, obviously that clip does come from like four years later from where we are in our timeline now, but I just wanted to throw it in there because I think it is, as you say, a good example of his humanity, but it's also clear that like Hollywood is scared by that. Like, they're like, we don't know what this is. You're, like, you're, you're vulnerable. Like, you hear his voice, you know, like, I mean, like, he's like, he sounds like he's, you know, like in school, like, like reading it, like, like he's just a bit scared and like, he's like that. Like, th there was another thing where he was at the Globes once and he did this kind of interview backstage and he was constantly fidgeting and scratching his hand behind his head and he was talking like, I'm kind of talking now, a bit motormouthy. And everyone was like, he's on coke, he's on coke, he's back on coke. And he was like, no, he's not, he's just nervous. Like, you can be an actor, you can be a Hollywood star, but still be fucking nervous in a room full of people. Yeah. And he is, like, because he's a genuine, genuine guy. But yes, back to 2004 and the film that basically almost killed his career. I, I thought this was really interesting because... When you'd said this first about doing Colin Farrell and this period in his life, I was like, oh yeah, of course, obviously, because Alexander, because even like, I remember like the discussion around that at the time was fucking huge. And then when I actually kind of wrote out this outline and dug into it a bit more, I was like, I mean, like, I don't know, like this was the only real kind of big thing but the more we've kind of dug into this before it was just like this was yeah you were a bit you were, you were a little bit skeptical when i suggested doing this now in fairness you were afraid that i was going to pick professional wrestling or new metal and i said <laughs> no no yeah. I'm, I'm going to sidestep you and i'm going to go with colin farrell and i think it's a good one. now what can you tell people about alexander alexander the great like because I, I feel like people haven't some people won't have heard of this film so it's oliver stone mm -hmm. uh, and it's obviously telling the story of Alexander the Great. From what I remember of the discussion at the time, it was just that it was like everything about it was kind of naff. Yeah. Like his hair. His hair. Describe his hair. Uh, how can I even describe It's just like appalling. Like yeah. it's just so. Everyone go to Google Images now and Google Colin Farrell, Alexander the Great. But it's, 
it will be on Instagram. Don't worry. But it was, it, a, it was the whole uh, thing. It, like his relationship with Angelina like, Jolie in yeah. the in the film. It was just like it, it was a laughing stock. It was just I think it was that it was trying to take itself so seriously. A mess, like just this Sprawling, massive, yeah. m- sprawling mess. But three hours long, and like it's about the greatest warrior that ever lived. And I studied classical studies when I was in school, so I was excited. I've studied Alexander the Great. I was like, I can't wait to see this. I've been waiting to see this, more, like you know, my my adult life or whatever the fuck I was at the time. And I went to the cinema, and I came out, and I was like, that was a crushing disappointment. It was so boring. There was two battle sequences, two battle sequences in a three-hour film, but the greatest warrior that ever lived. You've got Anthony Hopkins narrating it, and it's lots of you know. And then Alexander marched north. And he did this, but we're not going to show it to you. And it's like, great, cool. Uh, Jared Leto's in there, Rosario Dawson. There's a sex scene where Rosario Dawson and Colin Farrell hiss at each other like animals. Angelina Jolie plays his mother. And there's kind of a, you know, Oedipal thing going on there. Val Kilmer plays his drunk father. Oliver Stone is a notorious filmmaker as well. And like, you know, not all of his stuff works, to say the least. But I would have thought he would have had more command of this. And I think it's a very recognisable instance, not just the kind of peroxide blonde hair that Colin Farrell is sporting in this, but... He's out of his depth. He's miscast. He's not right for this role. I think he himself knew it. And it was it originally this flopped. Like yeah. nobody went to see it. Critics hated it. Bad box office disaster. I think it ended up making making back the money just about like just about. Yeah. Um, but, but this was, was that, meant to be. Sorry, this is meant to be like glad, the new Gladiator. Yeah. Or you know. Um, but it was Val Kilmer was actually supposed to be Alexander, but it just took Oliver Stone so long to get his shit together he that he'd out. obviously aged out at yeah. that point. Yeah. And Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer kind of blamed Colin Farrell for it. Now, I think he was kind of saying this half tongue-in-cheek, half not, well, about the fact also, that he, he was trying to give him advice. and like reputation for being difficult on set. Exactly, like, but yeah. Val was like, oh, sure, like I'd, I'd studied it so much and I was trying to give him advice and Colin Farrell wasn't really listening to me and stuff. I'm, par- I'm heavily paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he was trying to say. Well, I can understand Colin Farrell being like, no, no, I'm, I've got my way of doing this mm. and I respect you as an actor, Val Kilmer, but like, leave me alone. Yeah. And yeah, that probably, uh, that, that, how could that help you? Like, Have you, know? you watched the, like, because there's been like, eight director's cuts of this since so like (laughs) he there was a different version that it was like actually shorter than the original and it was a bit tighter and then there was like the kind of final final director's cut that ended up it was like over 200 minutes long however that is an hour I never went back to it it because I was so disappointed but I was was heartbroken I really really was and I was heartbroken for him as well because I really wanted him to work in this role Oh, but that's I feel like he got a lot of the blame like I feel like even yeah even now it's still like when you think of it it's it's like Colin and it's like okay yeah he was out of his depth he didn't do a great job but then again you're you you have to go back to the material then like is that not he definitely committed I mean I, again I don't know about his personal life at the time I mean like he clearly was I, you know we don't have the definitive time and I'm not looking to like you know get into the nitty gritty I know that like for example Miami Vice is the film that he says well I've no memory of making that one which is interesting because I fucking love that film I know people don't I think it's a masterpiece I think he's brilliant in it but he himself on that high one's interview that you referenced he was like he did say he was like he hopes to get a bit more acclaimed than it does but he's also said in numerous interviews he's no recollection of making it don't know what kind of state he was in on Alexander I think it was just a case of an actor being visibly the wrong person for it but again if I may I hope I'm not throwing too many clips out here but just to go back to my second of three on the Jonathan Ross one because again and this is a great example of him being willing to actually step up and say let's talk about it they talk about Alexander and how disastrous it was. And I think Farrell has a very interesting perspective on it. Uh, let me talk. Well, you mentioned Alexander. Let's talk about that because that was a movie where you committed a lot of time. Great cast with you there. Great Oliver cast. Stone, terrific director. Yeah, great uh, script. And everyone seen, when it came out, everyone hated it. All these great, 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 greats. And then the film, for some reason, that kind of in, indefinable 
I don't know, inexplicable reason it didn't it didn't work. I mean, I looked like a drag queen. I should have got my roots done. <laughs> you do, I should have got my roots done. You look at that, you do look a bit. Should have got my roots done. Alexander didn't go to a salon. No, no, he wouldn't. But he did in our version. I don't know. It was kind of heartbreaking, man, that it didn't. It really was all joking aside. Because all of you, you all put so much. All joking aside, it's it's not a poor me story because God, I got again got overpaid for it and had the most incredible life experience and shared it with a really cool bunch of people as i said the same crew 150 of us traveled around the world together for six months but for it to be treated the way it was when it came out i was having panic yeah, attacks people really i couldn't leave it. the house yeah no. Did, and so you read the reviews then even if they're I bad read yeah. every i was nearly writing reviews myself <laughs> <laughs> and the bad ones you know but why, why why would you do that to yourself because once you get the flavor the people... for self-loathing and the pleasure that comes with that <laughs> <laughs> God, I love him. He's great. Like, who else would you get that from? Yeah. Yeah, he said similar in 2008 when he was promoting Pride and Glory. He just said, Alexander Hirsch, you know. And again, people are going to say, get over it, you were well paid and all that. But Alexander Hirsch, the response that I got was really painful and all of us got a really hard time. And I didn't come across too well either in the majority of reviews. And even with the audiences, people did not respond to it. It was a film that was made to be seen by many people. Not many people saw it and they weren't particularly fond of it. And that was shit. It was really shit. I took it to heart. I felt like I'd let a lot of people down. I felt like I disappointed a lot of people and it took a while to get over that. Yeah, I mean, I also should say not to stick the knife in here but Pride and Glory is a bad movie as well like he's made a lot he's very prolific he's made a ton of films and he will pop up in anything from a generic cop movie to a war epic to you know a beautiful performance in Saving Mr. Banks that film like he's he's fantastic in that and it's kind of a small role um, he seems to be kind of game for anything I think he does apply himself always but I love hearing him in that clip because it's just so honest and it's just like when he says, you know, I was almost writing reviews, I'm like, what a beautiful, he owned it. He owned it so well. But yeah, you can tell that there's a bit of hurt there, which is a shame. It, but like, he's game for anything. Is that to his, was that to his detriment though at this time? Like obviously, like I know you have to consider the fact that struggling personally at this time potentially, yeah. or there was certainly a period of that and whatever, your judgment is affected, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, the variety there is just like, it's a bit mental and as you say like I, my point that I was trying to make earlier was that before I went into this I was like oh Alexander is his only real like true out and out flop and it's actually not no. like there are others but yeah. the, I suppose that's just the most infamous one yeah and it's like uh, even talking about it now like I almost want to go back to it but I know it's not good and yeah it's like it's more that like he made a bunch of forgettable films but that's fine I mean like you know, act, like what? What is an actor? Like, I mean, like you're a freelancer. You know, you're you're kind of a gun for hire. You're a mercenary, right? So, and not every role is going to be. Not, not everyone. Not everyone has the career that Daniel Day Lewis has, where it's like I'll do ten films or whatever, and they're all going to be like very notable. You got to pay the rent, mm. and he's been living in LA for a very long time. He seems comfortable and happy. I don't think it's tainted him, and I think a big reason for that is because I think he was getting lost in the wilderness, kind of in that mid two thousands period, but. For me, it all starts to make sense. And the crux of what we've been building to on this episode is 2008. It's in Bruges. This is the moment for me when it all comes together. It's all there. It's everything we've talked about. The humanity, the empathy, the pain behind the eyes, the humor. And there's some questionable humor in that film, but you know, I don't mind these characters being a bit broadly drawn. They're hitmen. Also, people are like that. You know, there's some questionable language, but you're like, again, you know, I don't need all my characters to be perfectly enlightened. I rewatched In Bruges recently, and I was so taken by him in this film. When was the last time you saw it? I'm a duo rewatch. I think I'll rewatch whenever I do my outro for this. Yeah, and I mean, I think ultimately, like, you know, it's some people think it's an absolute classic. It probably is. I don't 
I don't love it. I wouldn't as, have gone that far. Yeah, I don't love it as strongly as some people do. I love parts of it, though, as strongly do, are, as they are people do. falling in love with the story there? Because it was just like, you have him coming out of, like, Miami Vice, which, again, I know you love. And people are, if you're wondering why we're not talking about it that much, it's because we're doing an episode on it this season. I was, I was asked to, uh, to to rein in my opinions about this excellent film. I know, I'm sorry, but you know but what I mean? I can't mean? wait, I, I can't wait for the episode. I'm, just, like, it's I suppose great. from an Irish perspective, it was like, Every next film after Alexander was like, he's going to, co- the comeback is here. It, this is the comeback. And it was like, Miami Vice, this is the comeback. Of course, how could it go wrong? It's him and Jamie Foxx, this yeah. beloved piece of material. Doesn't really work, even though Dave no. really loves it. It's fine. And my guest who's going to talk about it. You know, it just felt like every single next thing was going to be the thing. And then yeah. he gets in Bruges and it like, it is good. And he's with Brendan Gleeson and the performances are really good. Is it us getting too into the story then? In that Irish way of always rooting for our own there's some of that but I think the fact that it hit on an international level and of course is now being obviously referred back to so so strongly with Banshees because of course it's the same creative team back together again that people always kind of wanted but it does it has endured and it does like international critics and fans people it's not it's not the Irish thing is of course there and we do you know yeah there's the whole you know build them up tear them down thing but I think you know people generally root for Colin Farrell but it's more that like just like when I rewatched this film recently his performance is the saddest thing. His character, like, I mean, I, I'm sure people have seen this film, and if, if you haven't, maybe mild spoiler alerts here or whatever, but, like, his character is doomed. And that's what it's about, you know? And like It's like, and I, I, the McDonough brothers and, you know, whatever, uh, not all their stuff works for me, and it can be very written, and it can be very over the top, and, you know, even in a film like, say, Seven Psychopaths, which is clearly, like, 20 years too late, it's such a Pulp Fiction knockoff, but Farrell's having... He's okay in it. Like, he doesn't have a lot to do. But like he's the analogue for the writer. But in, in Bruges, he plays this pained, broken man who's rough around the edges and is absolutely doomed. And his eyes are almost always on the verge of tears. And there's moments in this film which completely break my fucking heart. And Gleason's amazing with him as well. They're such a great duo. It's obviously very different than it is in Banshees. But like there's a scene later on in the film when Colin Farrell's going to kill himself and Brendan Gleeson's going to kill him, you know, because he has to. Spoilers. And he, like, sees that he's going to kill himself, and he runs over and stops him, and they have this conversation, and Colin Farrell's character has done something horrible. You know, he killed a little boy. That's the whole point of the film, sorry. You know, it's, it's been out fucking 14 years, 15 years. It's fine. You, you just said spoilers you as well. You should have seen it by now. Yeah. But there's this amazing moment where, like, Colin Farrell is bawling, and he's just, like, completely destroyed by guilt, and he says, I killed a little boy, I killed a little boy. And Brendan Gleeson's like, well, then save the next little boy. And it's it's devastating and they're so good in it and it's great and it's just like the character is is is, is probably reprehensible he says fucked up things he treats people horrifically he killed a little fucking kid but at the end of the film you desperately don't want him to die and that's Colin Farrell I don't know if another actor could have done it mm. and he also gets the funniest part of the film where he's in a restaurant and he hears a guy you know, this is, and this, like, is he smoking and someone takes offense to him smoking? It's it's Zelko Ivanek, that actor. And Colin Farrell thinks he's American. It turns out later he's Canadian, which ruins it for him. But he gets up and he like sparks him out with a punch and he goes, that's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's magnificent. So he, but th- th- this is, this is all the music coming together. This is all, this is all the notes. This is his masterpiece in terms of like, this announces a different Colin Farrell to the world. One that the world, critics and whatever, box office doesn't matter anymore. 
He's not the recruit anymore. He's not Daredevil's villain. He's not in phone booth. He's not opposite Tom Cruise in Minority Report. Not that he can't do these things because, of course, he's in the fucking Batman recently and he's great in it. He's an actor, but maybe, by distinction, not a movie star in the way that you mentioned Tom Cruise earlier. That's yeah. the closest kind and of... And I know you love Tom Cruise. I love but Tom Cruise, yeah. But that's completely fine. Like, like this is where Colin Farrell finds himself, I think, in my opinion, mm. as, 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 as a truly great actor. And since then, I think it's just, it, it's been an upward trajectory, even when he's doing, you know, side stuff and like horrible bosses or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. He's so good in horrible bosses. He's I forgot he was in that. that. Yeah, but, he, but he's very funny. Like, yeah. like, he's a very funny actor. And like popping up in like the Fright Night remake, which is not great, but he's having fun in it. But he's capable of this incredible pathos. He's an actor's actor. And that's what we're seeing now. I mean, I know, I know it's been mean to that because it's quite funny, that thing that everyone was doing with him playing the music off the phone. But that interview you did with Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't know if you watched that one, mm. the, the variety thing. Actors and on actors, I linked it in the show notes. It's just beautiful. And like they're, they're, they've, they had met before, they'd worked on the Special Olympics together. Um, that's another thing about his character. He does an awful lot for charity, but doesn't really, he doesn't want to necessarily be recognised for it. Yeah. He seems like a good fucking guy. And you can tell right now, with this Banshees moment that we're in, I, you know, I'd love to see him win the Oscar. Maybe he will. I don't think he will, but maybe he will. But people want him to. His peers want him to. His colleagues want him to. The fans want him to. Because it's, it, it would be the culmination of a great story. And again, given the state that he was in in the mid-2000s, we could have lost this man. We could have lost him completely. Not just his, not just his career. Mm. And I, I, I love him. I've never met him. I don't know him. But I think he, I think he'd be a warm guy. I think he'd give you a fucking hug. I think he'd give you the time of day. And as an actor, from in Bruges onwards, and I, you know, like we meant, like it was always there. Tigerland, like you know, it's not like he suddenly just became a good actor overnight. But he became a great one on this movie. I love it. I need to rewatch it, man. I need to rewatch it. Yeah, it's on. Banshees then I suppose and where he is now and like awards aren't the be all and end all and there's a part of me well I suppose this is a two-parter question then do you think because he got the Golden Globe from Bruges do you did, think he wants he? I, an I actually Oscar? Didn't, I didn't even know that do I think which Neither did I I forgot and I was only in researching this well, I realised he got it point proven uh, sorry. <laughs> um, does he want like uh, I think no does he want an Oscar like and but then also if you don't think he's going to get it for this and let's say he doesn't I hope he does and I know you hope he does as well even though you don't like love the movie or whatever mm. is this his closest chance it, it, well, yeah it definitely is his closest chance and it's not that I don't like the movie I just I came away from it a bit cold and I was kind of like I was, I was a bit it never quite got going for me in in terms of the rhythm of its script and I do feel very much like what am I missing because everyone seems to be like this is the most incredible thing ever, and I'm just not seeing it myself. I do think he's great in it, though. Does he want the Oscar? It's a great question, because, I mean, he's so fucking humble. He'll tell you that he doesn't. But I think that, he, I think that any actor who's in that conversation would love to be able to stand up there, hold that thing up, and for Colin Farrell to give us another kind of nervous speech on the stage, in which I know he'll thank the world, not himself. But, like, I remember Tim Roth, the actor Tim Roth, he, um, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Rob Roy back in the day a fairly not great Braveheart wannabe with Liam Neeson and he was the villain. He's good in it. And he's talked about it a couple of times and he said before that, you know, on the night of the Oscars, he's like, it's, he's like, it's all completely surreal. It's all very weird how, how, how the, the building operates and just the way it is. He said, but he said, I tried to tell myself I didn't want it. But when I was sitting there, I re I, I wanted it. I do. You do want it. He's like, yeah, he said, you do want it. So the Royal kind of you. So I think actors would like to have the recognition just on Tim Roth as well, just on the Oscars real quick. He tells a great one as well on one of those kind of like, you know, 
GQ iconic roles things where he said that on the night of the Oscars he didn't win and he said that he was sitting there and when his category came up Samuel L. Jackson was sitting behind Tim Roth and I, I assume they're all you know in the Tarantino kind of stable and he said that when his category was being announced Samuel L. Jackson leaned over to him and he goes Tim when you lose he goes <laughs> it's fucking, he goes when you lose he goes I want you to look into the camera and let out like a mother fucker you know and Tim Roth was just like so shaken by this that like when he did lose he forgot to do that but I was like Samuel Jackson the balls on that man <laughs> I think actors want to win Oscars yeah for sure I mean some people maybe not um, but even like even like the aforementioned Diana Day-Lewis you could tell it meant a lot to him um, and it would be lovely it would be a lovely beautiful thing I hope someone wins I hope Kerry Condon wins an Oscar for it she's brilliant in that I, film it annoyed me so much how left out of the conversation she was before like yeah. before I saw I just felt like everyone was talking about Farrell Brendan and Colin yeah. which I guess and they've both been putting her in the conversation though they're continually bringing yeah. her up him yeah. and, like Colin Farrell is always mentioning her in interviews yeah. like, um, she's incredible she is a fucking dynamite she in this. might be the best performance in that film yeah like she probably think so. is she's f- fantastic and a great actor and also boy have they come a long way since Colin Farrell broke her nose at the start of intermission remember that there you go that's them um, can I play one last clip? Of course. So I, I, I mentioned it earlier on, and while in Bruges is certainly the the moment when, as an actor, I start to be like, okay, wait a minute, this guy actually is for real. The once again Jonathan Ross uh, interview. You know, I'm not a big Jonathan Ross guy, but it's just it's a great 15 minute interview in which mm. Colin Farrell just goes off and says incredible things. So this was the moment for me, uh, and we've talked about his empathy that we think he has and the human that we think he is, and the the love that I think he has for people in his life and beyond, but. I didn't know that. I didn't feel that from him until this moment. So he's on. He's on Jonathan Ross. So I'm clearing my throat. I'm not getting emotional. I am getting emotional, but I, you know, I'm always emotional. Um, <laughs> the truth. The trick is, I'm always emotional. <laughs> um, he's on Jonathan Ross here, and he's talking about coming out of the substance abuse problems and how his life kind of changed since then. And I guess he just he just gets into he just starts philosophizing, and he does it in a way that I found to be and. Ross finds it to be very like just like wow this is incredible but I want you to picture this if you can at the end of this clip when Jonathan Ross like gives him his flowers essentially and asks for an applause which he gets Colin Farrell's face drops and falls and he looks awkward and unsure and a bit unhappy for a second because he clearly doesn't want the applause he's not saying this to get a crowd pop it just came out of him and it's beautiful, and I think it sums the guy up. When I think about it, uh, so much of the work that I did, I was struggling so hard just to keep my shit together a lot of the time. Like, genuinely, a lot of my energy was going in just to try and not have a complete meltdown in front of Al Pacino. So when I see you know? a movie like Minority Report, for example, were you, were you... Struggling that scene, even? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a really together performance. It doesn't seem like you're stuck at all. I mean, it looked like you were really on the ball there maybe all the way through that Maybe film. I should go back in the gear. No, 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 please don't. <laughs> please don't. Uh, no, yeah. But no, 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 yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, fear, you know, will, will drive you to, at, at times, you know, desperation will um, allow you to do incredible things in the name of survival at times. But it must, I mean, it's, it's fabulous that you got through it. I mean, because yeah, no, there was every chance you would have fallen by the wayside and just... Thrown it all away. Yeah, no, I mean, by the end of Miami Vice, I was just done. And, and I was just everything, you know, I just, I created an environment for myself and a, and a way of living for myself that on the outside seemed incredibly uh, gregarious and vivacious. And I was just, uh, I mean, I, I don't have any, I don't believe I have any chemical 
predisposition towards depression, but uh, let's just call it, I was suffering from a spiritual malady, I suppose, for mm. years, and I just indulged that, and it was sweet, because at times, to be in pain, if it's self-perpetuated, at times can be sweet. You can feel very alive when you're in pain, and I, and I also know that from a, another perspective, like when somebody who I love in my life has passed away, there is something incredibly, yeah, internally vivacious about feeling pain or mourning. And even if it is as egocentric and self-indulgent as mourning for yourself or pitying for yourself and all that kind of stuff. So I'm glad I'm out of that cycle of my life. And, you know, I'm very lucky that way. I think we should write that down and put that on the West End stage because that was one of the most beautiful speeches I've ever heard. What a way you use language. It's incredible. And it's that Irish thing. I don't wish to generalise, but... The Irish tend to have a love of language, and man, you know how to use it. Do you do you write at all? Would you are you thinking about writing? No, badly. Yeah, yeah, write some. What a sweetie. I know. Just, what a sweet man. It's killer, and like you know, John the Ross course doing the oh the Irish. Um, the Irish, yeah, fuck off. Land of poets and dreamers. Um, well, like maybe we are, and Colin Farrell is one of them, and I guess if I could just if I could try and sum it up, what I would say is, I mean, like it's funny because that clip to me when I first saw it, and it would have been, I presume, was around the time in two thousand eight, and. It just changed my opinion on him completely. I was like, I want to give this guy a hug. I want him to give me a hug. And I think that clip, like, even listen to it now, it's just like, I've uh, I've suffered with depression since I was a teenager. Uh, well, actually, probably since I was a fucking, my first memory ever, but, like, I was diagnosed in that way that you go to the doctor's office when you're 18, and you're like, here's what's wrong with me, and they're like, you have depression. And, like, since then, in the 20 years since then, you know, it's it's been there all the time. It'll be there all the time. I have it. You know, anxiety has kind of joined the conversation. And he mentions grief there, and I am currently grieving for the loss of my father. And, like, you know, it's been a really, really rough year in that regard. But, you know, the thing, the reason I'm, I'm bringing myself into this, if I may, is because what he says there about pain and how pain can kind of be attractive sometimes. Yeah, I, I can never, I always try and remember like the words he used because I can never remember them perfectly when I try and talk about it because I think that there is a truth to that. But I think he strikes the balance there. He's not glamorizing anything. He's not dismissing anything. He's not trying to underplay anything, and he's not trying to say, hey, depression is sexy, because it's not. It's pain, uh, but pain is a part of life, and there is a romance in it. And I think for an actor, and for someone who's been through the things he's been through in his life, to kind of put it down and illustrate it that way, off the fucking dome, as he did, and again, like I say, he didn't want the applause. That's not what he was doing. And a different actor and a different entertainer on a different talk show would. They would say platitudes. They would say things that aren't real to get the crowd to to cry with them. It would be crocodile tears and you could see it. But with him, he bared his fucking soul in that moment. And I think that if that's all he ever did, I would be very, very grateful for that. But I think he's done a lot more than that since in the world and on the screen. And I, I love the guy. I think he's an important person. And so what I'm trying to say with this episode is the um, the Hollywood machine version of Colin Farrell that they tried to make... And it gave him his career, but the, they tried to make the Hollywood machine version of him. And then the machine nearly crushed him, and he found a way to reject it and find himself. And that's why he flopped in a way, but it was the making of him. And I'm glad that it happened. So perfectly put. Is there any other performance of his that we haven't mentioned that oh you God. think is really um, good? Because even that's what I found going back through the stuff that he did, like you know, post Alexander, like I like Undine I forgot about. I love Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh I know people love the lobster. 
After Yang I haven't seen, but After I really Yang, want to. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I was ferociously scrambling there just to like, because I didn't write any more down. After Yang, I think, is the one that I would pick for now anyway. It, it's a film from 2022. It didn't get much of a wide release. And also, what a year he had in 2022, by the way. He's the Penguin and the Batman, and he looks unrecognizable, and he's great, and he's the only piece of levity in that film. I really need the TV show to be good. Yeah, I think it will be, but I think I'm it will like... Be. I think it will be. I don't think he would do it if it wasn't going to be. Um, it's triumphant return to TV after, we didn't mention, True Detective season two, two. Which everyone hates and I think he's really good in and I think it's nowhere near as bad as people say it is. I think someone is going to do that for a flop as well, I don't know. He's fucking very good in it though. You um, can come back if you want, if I don't have anyone else. After Yang is a film that came out, it's by a director called Coconata who also made a film called Columbus which is really, really beautiful and the actress Hayley Lou Richardson is in both of these movies. After Yang is about a family it's kind of set in like a, a nondescript version of the future like there's like where there's an android the family has an android and the android dies essentially and they have a young child as well and it's about him and his wife played by Jodie Turner-Smith I believe yeah. and they are trying to come to terms with it and it's about love and it's about loss and it's about grief and it's about mortality and again I watched it in the months removed from my father passing away and you know it obviously hit me like a ton of bricks as so much stuff this year has The Quiet Girl have you seen that? No The ending woof Oh man, <laughs> balling. Um, but no, I mean, Colin Farrell in After Yang, it's a performance of restraint. It's one that I don't think that the Colin Farrell of, say, 2003, 2004 could have possibly done because it is that life under the collar thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I say, I mean, whether it's something like that so introspective and beautiful and giving, or whether it's the penguin chewing the scenery, he is a chameleon and he's great. I can't say enough about him. <laughs> but he also has made some bad movies because, of course, he has. Who hasn't? But I think, you know, I'm just drawn to him. I think if he's in a movie, I'll probably watch it. Do you know what I forgot he was in? And he was so fucking good in Widows. Yeah, that's not a good movie. I like Widows. <laughs> People, I like Widows, whatever. I, I thought it was terrible. Did you? Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, I thought it was awful. Um, I, it was and I, was, I also didn't need it to open up with Liam Neeson tonguing Viola Davis. Like, I was like... Cool. Look, that's a personal preference, I suppose. That's, I mean, who wouldn't want to be tongued by Liam Neeson? But I mean, ultimately... I, I actually wouldn't, but... <laughs> honest, um, but... Yeah, no, I thought that film was... I'm not a big Steve McQueen guy, but Farrell's good in it, yeah. I mean, he's solid in that movie, I suppose. I kind of want to go back to it, but I was so disappointed by it. Yeah, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Yeah. I have so much to watch and rewatch. I'm really excited. Are you going to, like... Um, I'm trying to think, like... Will we ever go back to SWAT now? Is, is that, is that, will uh, I ever go back to SWAT? Is that a one and done for you? Uh, no. That's <laughs> so irritating. Well, it couldn't be as good the second time, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Dave, it's been such a pleasure. Oh, what an you. episode. Thank I've loved you. having you here. Dave, thank you so much for joining me on Flap Culture. Thank you, Fanula. It has been lovely to be here and I love you very much. You heard me reference Snow Encore there at the start. Dave hosts Snow Encore. It's a music podcast. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. You can also find him on Twitter at Hanratty Dave. And he can also be heard occasionally on Today FM and RC Radio 1. So tune your ears in to that. All of the movies and shows we mentioned, I will do my best to leave links in the show notes to them. Um, and yeah, what a man. What a journey. I'm just, I, I do personally think he'll get the Oscar. I really would like him to get the Oscar. Um, obviously, since recording that, he won the Golden Globe. And as Dave mentioned, the Oscars is, when I say a bit more of a stacked category, it's just a bit different because of the genres and the categories. Uh, it's a lot broader. Um, I think you'd have to consider uh, Lisa Marie Presley's recent death. Um, not to be cynical, but you would imagine that maybe that impacted Oscar voting. 
I still think Brendan Fraser is in probably with a good shout based on what Dave said and around, you know, the whole idea of him having a similar story to Collins, not entirely similar, but, you know, it's that journey back from the depths of nothing. I want to heavily use air quotations there so that you get what I mean. Um, But it would be great to see him get it. What a year for Irish cinema and to be so well represented on that global stage. Um, And I've said this already, but if we take anything away from this or we take nothing away from this bar this, we need to fund the arts. The arts deserve to be funded. Look at what we can do when we have money. You know what I mean? Uh, great to see Paul Mescal nominated as well in the Best Actor category for Sun, uh, for After Sun even. If you haven't seen that movie, go see it. Incredible. It's still showing in some cinemas. Cannot recommend it enough. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, Carl. We love you. Uh, before I bid you adieu this week, let's find out who is Top of the Flops. You're a flop. Top of the Flops this week is Ilaria Ni Hillary Baldwin. Ay, 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 ay. Before I go any further with this, right, I, I do just want to make it very clear that I don't condone like paparazzi harassing women or children, right? So just that we have that out of the way. But I also cannot condone someone pretending to be Spanish when they're not, and it's been proven that they're not. So if you're like, what the hell am I talking about? I find it hard to believe they wouldn't know what I was talking about because this all kicked off in 2020 and what else were we doing in 2020? Sitting in our homes looking for things to talk about. Uh, but in 2020, uh, I think it was December 2020, Ilaria was accused of pretending to be Spanish. Uh, prior to this becoming a thing and a conversation, she said she'd been born in Spain, like it was referenced on her website. Uh, she was born in Mallorca and moved from Mallorca to study in NYU. Uh, she spoke with a Spanish accent. In some videos, she's seen struggling to remember words, asperla in English, if you will, including the word cucumber. We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say anything? Cucumber? Cucumbers. We- then someone called Lenny Briscoe tweeted, you have to admire Ilaria Baldwin's commitment to her decade-long grift where she impersonates a Spanish person. Followed by some evidence, allegedly, seemingly, that this was true, including her father's obituary, confirming that he, his side of the family are not Spanish, do not come from Spain. A clip of her mother talking in a very Massachusetts accent uh, and some other some other tweets that have since been deleted. But basically, this was enough to kind of bring Ilaria out of the woodwork and be like, no, no, like I, I'm Spanish. I'm kind of not Spanish. I'm a little bit Spanish, you know. She said, I was born in Boston and grew up spending time with my family between Massachusetts and Spain. Uh, and then she had another in- Instagram video in which she said, it's one of those things that I've always been a bit secure about, talking about her accent. If I get nervous or I get upset, then I start to mix the two, the Spanish and the American. Uh, as for her name, she said, in this country, I would use the name Hillary. In Spain, I would use the name Ilaria. I identify more with Ilaria because that's what my family calls me. Yes, I am a white girl. Let's be clear that Europe has a lot of white people in there. My family is white. Ethnically, I am a mix of many, many things. Culturally, that's a hard word to say, I grew up with two cultures. So it's really as simple as that. People are very critical of this, rightly so, her essentially like cosplaying as an immigrant. And then the rest of us found it like hilarious, hilarious, if you will, uh, including me. And then obviously we had the news uh, last week that her husband 
Alec Baldwin is going to be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter after accidentally shooting and killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust in 2021. So obviously there's a lot of coverage around this. Uh, Paparazzi are following them, kind of taking photos, looking for their statements. Uh, But that led to this confrontation between the paparazzi and Ilaria. You guys can all stay away. Hilaria, all these charges fail. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. You're not going to ask me questions. I'm going to tell you. Okay? I want you guys to realize that we have seven kids. And you being here to escort them to school and to be there when they come home is not good. So on a human level, you guys know I'm not going to say anything to you. You know that. So please, leave my family in peace and let this all play out, okay? So let my kids come home and you stay away from them. Because they ask me, mommy, what like, what are these people doing? And it's a very hard thing as a mom to try to explain. So please, go home. Because I'm not going to say anything and Alec is not going to say anything. You're- Hilaria, come to Ireland if you need a break, babe. I've so many great sites to show you. Henry Street, Il 16, Il, Il 16. <laughs> oh, celebrities, they're just like us, eh? Thank you so much for listening. We are Flop Culture underscore pod on Instagram and TikTok. Come follow us for more over there. And you can get in touch as always at flopculture at gmail.com. You can rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you do so, you'll get a personalized bop or flop recommendation. And you can also leave a five star review on Spotify. This podcast has been edited by Adam Shanahan. Our work is always by the lovely Brian Lambert. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.